Welcome to another distinct nostalgia by MIM. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. So far, we've done three shows celebrating classic films made in Britain. We've heard from Margaret Barton, the last surviving member of the cast of David Lean's iconic Brief Encounter, made in 1945. We've reunited some of Alan Bennett's The History Boys. And we've had an hour in the company of Mark Lester, who played Oliver in the multi-Oscar-winning 1968 film musical of the same name. All of them are still available to listen to at distinctnostalgia.com. Now our celebration of British film takes us back to the mid-1980s and a groundbreaking movie which sprang out of the birth of Channel 4. It was one of the first movies to be part of the Film 4 strand and it tackled race, sexuality and the social, economic and political climate of the time. Set in South London, it starred Daniel Day-Lewis as punk Johnny and Gordon Warneck as his Asian boyfriend Omar. Together, they were the romantic joint leads in the film My Beautiful Laundrette. Ashley's been catching up with Gordon exactly 35 years on. Well, it's um, a, a pleasure to talk to you about what was, I mean, an iconic movie, which I've seen many, many times. Yeah, just a lovely film. And uh, it's great to speak to somebody who, who played such a big role in it. Take us back, if you can, back to the sort of the early 80s and the, the start of the planning for that film and where you first heard about it. And tell us a bit about the story, the build-up to it, if you can. Um, well, originally, um, Hanif Qureshi, the writer, had written quite a big uh, script, loosely based upon an uncle of his who owned a laundrette in London. Uh, he showed it to Stephen Frears, who he knew as a friend. Uh, Stephen Frears, of course, directed the film, and he said, gave him a few pointers and said, go away and rewrite it. And from there, it kind of evolved into the scripts that it became, um, and the one that we saw on on the screen. I was suggested for the part of Omar by Rita Wolfe, who plays Tanya in the film. Hanif and Stephen... Had, hadn't heard of me because I I had been doing mainly theatre. I'd been out of drama school for about three years and I'd been working up and down the country in theatre. So I met them. They were foolish enough to offer me the part. So, so it started, so it was, a, it was a film initially then? There wasn't a theatre production or anything like that? No, it was, it, no. it was purely for television. That was the idea. Um, Stephen Frears jumped on board to direct it. Um, he was actually offered Conan the Barbarian by Dino De, De Laurentiis. Um, but he turned it down because he, he just fancied doing a film about two gay blokes in South London instead of swanning off to, to far-flung places. And it was made, and originally it was supposed to be the um, kind of start of the film for season in their inaugural year. Um, and it went to Edinburgh to be shown at the Edinburgh Film and TV Festival. And I was working on a TV series, my first TV series called Boone with Michael Elphick. And I was getting word back from Edinburgh that it was very well received. And Jeremy Isaacs, who at the time, I believe, ran Channel 4, said, no, I don't want this to be the first film on Channel 4 for their film for season I think it should go to the cinema which they did so it was it was shot by Stephen for TV 
and as you probably know the ratio for the for the lens for tv is different from film so in his mind this was going to be a tv movie and that was how he shot it but they blew it up or whatever they do and um it went on to the cinema just a slight aside let's take us back a little bit because of course channel four had only started in 1982 yeah uh, so it wasn't long long after that and and of course you know, this was quite a revolutionary period, really, wasn't it? It was it was an opportunity to for a bit of extra investment into British film again. It helped to revitalise British film, didn't it? Channel Four at that time. Yeah, it definitely was a big. It was a big step for TV on the whole. The the material that they were producing was very different from the kind of mainstream stuff that was going on on the BBC and on ITV. So they were were coming up some very kind of way out ideas. Some of them were successful, some of them were awful, but there was money being invested for new writers and and uh, and crews and actors. So it was a very exciting time. Yeah, there was a lot of experimenting going on, wasn't there? I yes. remember quite a lot yeah. of experimental things. In fact, I think when Channel 4 first started, they started off with that thing called Five Go Mad in Dorset or whatever it was, yes. which launched the careers of quite a few comedians and all sorts of different people. They were they were li- literally, yeah, they were dipping their toes in lots of different things, weren't they? And That's trying to be right. as extra, extra risque as they as they possibly could be. Yeah, and of course, um, and, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and and my beautiful laundrette w- was in that vein, wasn't it? It was. It was quite a risk, wasn't it? Yeah, Stephen Frears, funny enough, directed a couple of Five Go Mad in Dorsets with the uh, comic strip team. And you're quite right, you know, Aid Edmondson, Rick Mail, Nigel Planey, all of those, Alexis Sale, all of those kind of punk um, comedians were coming through, and their outlet at that time was Channel Four. So with my beautiful laundrette, then. You got the part. What? How much did you know about the part? And um, you know, how much did you know about the film right at the very beginning? Um, nothing apart from I knew nothing about it until I actually read the script. I read the script, and then I went and met Stephen Frears at his house with Hanif Qureshi. That was the first time that I met either of them, and I I, I fell in love with the script. I thought it was great. Um, and and we just talked around my own upbringing and my thoughts about the character and so on. But I felt I already knew that character. I'd, I'd had the script for about a week and kept rereading it. And so I was fully, fully prepared when I met them. You, you already knew that character. How much of the character then did you, did you really identify with, do you think? I, I suppose there's certain traits in it. It was... Small things just about his character. There was a scene where he's kind of clumsily walking with a bucket of water. And I remember leaving Stephen's house and I said, Stephen, let me show you how Omar, the character I played, walks. And I did this kind of loping walk across the street and he was standing at his front door. So I kind of inhibited those kind of traits I think I think with all parts you find certain elements of the character that you can identify with. I think one of the strongest elements that I found was the fact that the character's father, um, his papa, is a socialist, and my father was a socialist as well. And it was sad to see my father's disillusionment with the whole socialist uh, theory or whatever kind of 
go down the pan as the years progressed because Margaret Thatcher had come into into power. We were becoming an increasingly capitalistic country and everybody was out for themselves. And it was it was very difficult to, to have those sort of principles. And that disillusionment is also felt by my character's father, Papa, who is disillusioned with what he's seen going on around him. But Omar wants to make good for himself and he wants to make money. Um, I think his father is proud that he's going to do this, but at the same time it goes against everything that he believes in. But he has to embrace a bit of Thatcherism along the way. As it of were. course, yeah, which, which I think I probably did at that age as well. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you mean? Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to yeah. try, oh, yeah. try, try get them on there. Yeah. 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 Hey, yeah, we all artists, man. We go you feel me? We gonna have this like Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kai, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta lie, don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit I mean, it, when you watch it, and having lived through the 1980s, and I was a young boy. I was what uh, start the 1980s. I was only eight or nine, but I do re- I do remember much of it quite well. And it, it is. You know, this isn't. This is no dis- disrespect for, to the film at all, because I think it still lives on today and is an ex- excellent film. But it was a film of its time, wasn't it? In the sense that it reflected that period very well. I, it certainly did. It certainly did. That's why I think actually working on it and sticking two fingers up to what was going on around us in real life was such an electrifying thing, and I think that was felt by all the crew the cast, everybody, we felt as though we were actually fighting back against the system in our own little way. Now, where did the laundrette aspect come from? Why was it a laundrette? What was the reason well, for that? as I said earlier, it was, it was based on a, a true life story. It's one of Hanif's uncles owned a laundrette and uh, he just took it a stage further. Um, so that's where the whole laundrette... But I suppose it epitomises capitalism. You know, if you want to look at it like that, that, that was a nucleus for where my character wanted to make the money and it personified everything about capitalism, the way that you take people's dirty clothes and wash them and make money. Absolutely, and uh, it still goes on to this day. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> we, we, in fact, we... Me and my partner have given up on washing on a washing machine. We started going to laundrette again. Now it's bizarre, isn't it? Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah, we do. We just, well, it's you know we live in a small uh, apartment, and I work a lot at the computer and all the rest of it. And you have to have the laundry going on all the time, constantly. It's too much, yeah. you know. You it's much better to, to go and do it and get it done and come back and all the rest exactly. of it. Exactly. You know? so yeah. Um, and they and they fold it for you. And they folded for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You're right there. So, what about? Daniel Daniel's character and and meeting yeah. him and w- w- tell us a bit about that. Did you how how early was it that you got to know got to know him and knew he who he was going to be playing? Um, well, it, I think that happened on the second meeting. I was asked to go back, and I would be reading with 
a young actor called Daniel Day-Lewis, who obviously I was aware of because he'd already done quite a lot of work. Um, and it wasn't really a reading. We, he, I think Stephen wanted to see how the two of us got on. And we got on really well. But Stephen actually had in mind, uh, and the producers had in mind, to have Tim Roth or Gary Oldman play that part. Because obviously Daniel's very, he comes from quite quite a a, a very well healed background to say the least. Um, you know, his father was poet laureate. His grandfather was Sir Michael Balkan, who ran Eating Studios. His mother was uh, Jill Balkan, who was a very established actress, and he went to a public school. So they were a little bit worried about his upper class credentials, but. As the story goes, and it's true because Daniel told me, and he said it many times in the press, he sent Stephen a letter saying that if you don't give me the part of Johnny, I'll send somebody around to break your legs, which I thought was quite astute. So Dan and I got on really, really well, and it was actually him that they were worried about, but obviously they didn't need to worry about anything. It's funny that they should think about Gary Oldman. Is that because he'd done similar kind of parts before, hadn't he? Well, Gary Oldman and Tim Roth were kind of flavours of the month when it comes to working class characters at that time. I mean, they were both in Mike Lee's film Meantime um, and various other other films and stage productions. So they were very, you know, they were the very hot Cockney boys, if you like. Basically, here was a film which was treading new territory wasn't it in the sense of it a it was putting asian characters right at the top of the of, yeah. the, of the film as it were so it's about asians but it was also tackling tackling gay people and gay asians for god's sake you know yes yeah i mean yeah tell us a bit about that i mean was that something i mean obviously as an actor you enjoy the challenge but was it something everyone was a little bit nervous about as well I, I don't think so. I remember when I first read the script, um, and I had no idea this happened in it, the kiss between the two boys, which which kind of progressed. But I saw complete validation, if you like, why, why the two guys um, kissed and became lovers. But that was just one element of the film. You know, when people say to me, you know, they call it a gay film. I don't think it's a gay film at all. I think it's just a film about love. Um, it could have been between a man and a woman or two women. I think that was just one element. There's a lot of other elements to the film, such as the family, about making money. Uh, it's political. It's about racism. It's got so many different elements, which is a strength of Anif Qureshi's writing. So when we were making a film, we weren't thinking, oh, look at us, we're making a gay film. It wasn't that at all. It was just part of the story. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM, and if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you. He's a household name. Hello. Mr. John Sim. My gosh, I'm recording from my airing cupboard. Jesus. Yeah. New to Distinct Nostalgia. Hello, is that Monsieur Joe Calzaghi? It is. What tea bags do you buy, Joe? Tetley's, mate. See, if Tetley's get older, this podcast will go nuts. Joe Calzaghi <laughs> is the Tetley's tea drinker. Join Queer as Folk star Craig Kelly. 
as he reminisces with friends from the worlds of showbiz and sport. Hello? Is that Mr Terry Hall? Uh, yes, it is. Hi, Craig. <laughs> I was about ten, and I didn't know yeah. what a political song was. Ghost Town, I knew that that was. And yeah. so you connected with a ten-year-old. You know, the idea has always been with me, you communicate, this is your voice, you express your feelings, and to recognise that other people feel this too is a great thing, really. Kelly's Heroes. God, that was amazing. Every Tuesday for the next four weeks on Distinct Nostalgia. I will speak to you anon. When you said that people were reacting to it in Edinburgh and liking it or whatever, what was the feedback coming back? What was it that people seemed to sort of cotton on to? What was it people that liked about it, do you think? I think, I think because it spoke about the times... It was one of the first times that there was a gay kiss scene. There have been gay kisses, obviously, on screen before, but uh, nothing for a while like that, especially between um, a black person and a white person. Um, so the feedback, it seemed to feed into the, what people were seeing around them, what was happening politically, what was happening in the country, what was happening with Thatcher, it was all very relevant. And on top of that, two guys kissing, it kind of just ticked every box. What do you remember about the filming of it? Because what comes over, really comes over, is how real it looks. I mean, you know, that laundrette, everything just seems... You know, you can watch TV programmes and films and you know it's a studio or you know it's... But there was yeah. something really authentic about it, wasn't there? Yeah, it was all it was all shot on location in South London. Uh, that was a laundrette. Obviously, they doctored it um, to make it into powders, the laundrette which it becomes. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a tough six weeks. You know, it was like every day or oh, six, six days a week filming in cold, cold car parks, you know, underground car parks and the laundrette. And which I love. It's what I love about filming when you're actually out there doing it as opposed to being in a studio, which is very synthetic. It's very false and it's very secure. You know, it doesn't feel real because you know that you can knock that wall over with one hand. But when you're out on location, you've got the elements against you. You know, you've got the public trying to look into what you're seeing, what what you're doing. So I, I loved it. And it was, it was six, six tough weeks because... It was there was a lot to film in that time, so uh, they had a cracking crew, and uh, it was it worked worked out well. Can you remember the reaction you got personally because you were play, playing a part that hadn't really been seen before, so it was new. It was a new territory in many ways for for, for the for the British public and the audience. You know what what kind yeah. of feedback did you get both on the street, but also in terms of people getting in touch with you and things like that. On the whole, it was it was it was great. It was a few mates of mine who weren't actors were going, "Oh, Gordon, I'm, I'm a bit surprised, but we love the film." You know, on the whole, it was really positive. The the people seemed to enjoy the film. The the whole gay element was just was just accepted. I think. I think the only resilience we got was out in America from a load of Muslims who who tried to boycott the. Uh, cinema you know had placards or whatever i wasn't there but that's, that's what i heard but it as i said before it just seemed to come out at the right time and people empathize with it if that's the right word you know they 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 could see where it was going and they could relate to it and times times were changing there was a backlash against the government at that time 
you know, because of what was going on politically. And this was like a voice in some ways of showing uh, viewers what the real Britain is like. But it's interesting because 35 years later on, I did a, a stage production um, recently, last year before the um, COVID, um, back in November, with the Curve Theatre in Leicester. And it was, it was a fantastic show. And the Pet Shop Boys wrote three songs for the show uh, specifically, which I put onto their album. And it was interesting having people come along to see it. We played in five cities around the Midlands, Birmingham, Leeds, Cheltenham, Leicester and so on. And people after, uh, sometimes after the show would come up to me and just shake my hand and say thank you for, for being in the original um, because it helped them to come out as a gay, as a gay man. And they were like, they said they, they were in, came from Buxton or somewhere and they'd heard about this film and they travelled all the way to London just to see this film because their voice was being heard and it was just such a lovely, you know, and it happened so many times last year and it's happened before that as well but very much last year. I've played the father this time so it was just wonderful, wonderful to hear that, that you were part of, of helping somebody come out in a time when it was like, it was very, very dodgy to say the least, to say that you were gay. Well, talking about that particular issue, what was the chemistry like then between you and uh, your co-star? Did you manage to, uh, you know, because you obviously have to, you know, look authentic and look real. How did that, was that, was that easy to well, do? Well, that's... <laughs> That's that's just great acting. <laughs> we were we were known as a listering kid kids on set because we were forever kissing people. I was forever kissing my uncle, my aunties, and of course Daniel Day Lewis. So Daniel's straight, I'm straight. Um, we didn't talk about okay, is it tongues or no tongues? We just we just went on set, and um, I'd say that Daniel was the dominant partner. So he was the one on top or whatever. But um, well, your character was quite fey, wasn't he? In a way, he was quite. Sort of yeah, fey. yeah, yeah. He was. He was. So I think you know. I think if you start thinking about it um, and talking about it, it can get in the way. I think as an actor, you've got to let the moment carry you, if you so to speak. And when you get on set, you know what your character's feeling. You know where he's been. You know where he's going to. So you just go right. Let's do it. Now, the gay issue obviously was was a big thing at the time and we would have got all the publicity and people would have been talking about all these gay men kissing and, oh, it's, you know, people, the the the, the, uh, the Mary Whitehouse Brigade, which was still around at the time, would have said a few things, I'm sure, at the time. I'm sure if we look back in the papers, they'll have said something. But there was also this issue of the the racism, wasn't there? And you challenging yeah. your co-star, your, your co-character, you know, Johnny, about his... His, his fascist past and all that kind of thing. Tell us a bit about that, because that was controversial in, in, a, in a way. And that, I mean, you'd had programmes in the past which had tackled things on TV, but probably not in mm. a, such a direct way. Yeah, that's right. I think, I think the whole racism um, part of the story was handled really well. Uh, Johnny could see what was going on around him. And he, he genuinely felt in love with my character Omar and so that that kind of whole racism thing 
was pushed aside as far as he, he was concerned. Although it was always there, it was always around him with Genghis and his gang hanging about the laundrette. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I, th- you know, I thought it was, I thought it was done, hmm. done really well and it shows that whatever people's issues, whatever people's backgrounds and problems and whatever, love can overcome, can't it? Yes, yeah. You know? And I think that's what, what happened, really. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis has gone on to some some fantastic things, but you work with some other great actors in that film mm. as well, mm. and I'd like to talk a little bit about them, if we can. Sadly, no longer with us, of course, is Say Jaffrey, who yeah. did has done lots of things, prolific actor going back many years. T- tell us a little bit about working with him. What was he like? Oh, it's great. He's very much of the old school. Uh, you know, he's very much, hello, hello, dear boy. <laughs> you know, um, and yeah, he was great. It's, it's so sad he's not with us now. Uh, he was so good in that role as well. And um, he always had a good story. Of course, he did The Man Who Would Be King with Michael Caine uh, and Sean Connery. Yeah. And so he had lots of stories. And he was just, just, just a lovely man. Yeah. And then a couple of others that spring, spring to mind for me are somebody I've been trying to get hold of, actually, because we, we've been trying to do a little reunion of, of the... Um, the comedy series Only When I Laugh with Christopher Strawley and uh, James Bolam and oh, Derek um, Peter Branch. Bowles, of course. Yeah. yeah, Derek Branch, who played, of course, Gupta in Only When I Laugh. He played um, Salim in uh, in in uh, My Beautiful Andrette. What was yeah. he like to work with? He was he was great. Again, you know, it was it was a very happy happy company, a very happy cast, should I say? And yeah, I first time I'd ever met Derek, and it was quite a live wire offset. Uh, what do you call him? A good time, Charlie. I think is the expression. But he was he was very professional on set, and he was he was great to work with. And I gather now he he lives back over in uh, I think he's in India and runs an acting school or something over there. So I've right? heard. Yeah. Yeah yeah. 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 And of course, and then you had Shirley Anfield as well. Who's another oh, big, big beautiful Shirley. Oh, love that woman. Yeah, I see her occasionally. Uh, I did see her occasionally. Um, she's she's just a, a gem. She is proper old school my father uh came to the my father and my mother came to the uh the first screening of the film at the bfi and he only had eyes for shirley anfield he said look gordon just make sure you introduce me to shirley anfield which i did because he remembered her back from the 50s and 60s in those all those kind of glamorous parts that she played she's a beautiful beautiful woman now like East is East, which obviously came many, many years later, uh, My Beautiful Andre is dealing with very serious issues, but does it with a bit of comedy along the way. East is East is like that. East is East is dealing yeah. with domestic violence and whatever, and that's the real undercurrent. But, but you know, it's all there's lots of comedy along the way. To do, do you think? Do you think that's the 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 the, the sort of um, the beauty of these films? The fact that people are able are able to are allowed to laugh at things which they wouldn't normally necessarily always find funny do you think the comedy helps them yeah way? i think it does i think it provides an outlet i think there's been a, a, a long periods of time where you've had the very very stereotypical asians on the television and on stage you know the waiters and so on and arranged marriages 
and it was all very straight and this was very much the white perspective of what Asian people are like um, and films like My Beautiful Laundrette, East is East and so on it's like well hang on there's another side to, to these cultures and, and they're showing that and they're showing it in a very very funny way and also a very very dramatic way um, so it's kind of opened out people's perception and um, which is which is a great thing going back to the 80s of course the other thing which was significant about it in terms of the authenticity was that you had um, Daniel Day Lewis's character um, was of course a, a, a punk and that was the big thing at the time, wasn't it? Punk. Just, just yeah. remind us of how significant that was. Everyone, every other person was a punk back in the early 80s. Yeah. They? Well, what a lot of people didn't know was, was he had that kind of punk haircut. And when he turned up to meet Stephen Frears for the role of Johnny, he still had this amazing white kind of short Mohican punk, punky looking hair. And that was because he had been playing Dracula at Half Moon theatre and that was that was what he looked like in that play so he had this shock of white hair all spiked up and it, it was totally right for johnny they just bleached it a bit or did whatever they had to do died a bit but he kept that same sort of hairstyle that he played in in uh, for dracula fabulous fabulous well your character wasn't a punk no. <laughs> um and he didn't persuade you to become a punk did he along the way so no. you, you were you escaped that bit yeah i <laughs> so was always the, a bit bit of a heavy metal guy anyway so i would have gone that way you'd have gone that way <laughs> yeah. you'd have gone that way yeah so i mean the film did really well it, it's it's listed often as among the you know that british films of all time i think it's within the top 50 or something you know the the soundtrack was um was was um very popular as well. That did really well because it's produced by Hans Zimmer, wasn't it? Some of the soundtrack. Uh, oh my God! Uh, yes, yes, it was. Um, and Stanley Stanley Mayers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was also excerpts, wasn't there, from Madame Butterfly as well? Were That's as right. Well. Yes. You know? Yeah. So although all those kind of things became quite, and some of the scenes became sort of quite iconic in a way. Yeah. People still remember it, don't they? What What do you, what do you think is its legacy? Do you think? I I don't know. It's I know it's still being studied in on film courses at colleges at unis, which is a legacy to some extent because it's still being looked at. You know, Hanif's uh, writing still being being looked at. I I think it's almost timeless because it's not because I'm in it stepping outside of it it's just a really good story and that was reinforced when we did the stage show of it which Hanif did the stage adaptation for it's just a good story and people can relate to so many different things of it it's just an enduring story and how did the Pakistani community react to it you know, particularly the the fact that there was the gay side of it in there as well I mean do, I mean you said in America there was a bit of a backlash but did people here generally welcome it they were quite happy with it um yeah I mean I didn't hear much about much of a backlash to be honest if they if they knew what it was about and they didn't go then they didn't go but it was there wasn't any massive vocal uh dissentment against it and do you think it helped in a way at the time to sort of bridge you know unify the, the different communities the white community the asian community help each other understand a little bit about each other a bit more the gay community do you think it had a role in, in helping in that sense possibly yeah it's difficult to say, but it, it, but if it did do that, then good, then good. That's one of the reasons why I enjoy 
doing acting and directing and so on is is to make some sort of a statement and let people take whatever it is away with them you know uh if if they get a better understanding watching my beautiful laundrette or whatever it is or seeing east is east and they have a better understanding then the actors involved and the writer and the director everybody involved in that production has succeeded to some extent what did it do for your career do you think? Well, I suppose it kind of put me on the map. I'd, I'd been doing a lot of theatre before then, um, a lot of children's theatre. Um, and then I suppose it just got me got me known. Because at the time, there weren't that many Asian roles. So I was hoodwinking lots of producers and uh, casting people, pretending I was Asian, <laughs> and getting all the Asian roles until more Asian actors came about and, and I started losing out to them. So I suppose... What it's done for my career is here I am talking to you now about it. I'm still very proud of the work that I've done since. But of course, all these years on, there still doesn't seem to be um, enough parts really being offered to black and Asian actors. There are token ones here and there, but there's not a hell of a lot, is there really, when you think about it? And of course, the other issue is our industry, which is, seems to be racked with ageism we live in a media media in particular that's very very focused on stuff for youth all the time and therefore there's not that many parts for older actors is there really no especially older women as 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 well um and that's been going on for far too long um producers unfortunately want you know they 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 want their audience to be of a certain demographic and and They've been making a lot of programmes for certain ages, a lot of them not encompassing the older generation. Yeah, no, absolutely. We need to we need something to bring a bit more social cohesion, don't we, between the between the generations, you know. I think I think things are definitely happen happening. If you look at um I watched recently um I May Destroy You, you know, this this there's a lot of female driven vehicles going on at the moment in america reese witherspoon is, has, has done a few things where it's like women directors and and unfortunately yeah that is going slightly the other way but then again they are giving themselves parts which weren't there before um it's very important that not just black actors and it's it's the age thing that you quite rightly say is addressed um as is the sex as is maybe transgender as well you know, all of these issues, this is what society is now in the 21st century. Um, and you have to you have to recognise these people, these these compartments, if you like, of society. And you have to bring them to the fore. Absolutely. So finally, then looking back at my beautiful Andrette, in all the things you've done in your life, you know, did it? I'm sure the answer is yes to this. Did it did it change your life? Do you think? At the end of the day, I'm a jobbing actor. Yes, it did change my life for for the good but more in the way that people have received it and are still talking about it uh, so i'm very proud of that piece of work and to work with the people that i did on it but you know an actor's an actor is as good as his last job so you just keep going gordon it's been a pleasure to talk to you thank you thank you very much distinct drama fresh and original defend i assure you that i have not come here to murder you however tempted I may be. A terse 40-minute drama set in a US correctional facility. Oh, I see. You wish to be sent to the electric chair. Yeah. Oh, oh no, 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 Mr. Fenn. That would not do at all. 
starring the award-winning Joe Sims. In short, Mr. Fenton, you are what may be regarded as disposable humanity. Don't you dare think that I started all of this out of political ambitions. Yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Daniels, I do think that. And to show you that there is such a thing as redemption, to show you that you are educable and have potential... Show me! Show me, Mr. Daniels! I think you're done showing me my potential. As we forgive them. Available now. To place yourself in the center of a dream doesn't make it a bad one. And this dream, my dream, in whatever depths of despair it may have been born, has become the start of something real. Listen at distinctnostalgia.com or search for Distinct Drama wherever you get your podcasts. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM, and there are loads more excellent shows to listen to on our website. Danny Rogers recalls growing up with 321's Dusty Bin. So my first encounter with Dusty Bin was my dad sort of wheeling him out as a young boy. I had no clue what this thing was, and I was frightened, of course, but as it went on, I was like, oh, this is my new best friend. <laughs> and I was one of the lucky few that actually had one in their bedroom. Kathy Gorey discusses the legacy of Rosemary, the telephone operator. Hello, hello. I had an effect on a bunch of Gen Xers, or maybe I was their first female crush or something, but I meet men, some of them quite powerful now, who grew up watching me, you watching Rosemary rather but I thought this is nuts and they let me do pretty much what I wanted to do everything was always rhyming some you call the police department talk Hong Kong and that's that's what I thought Rosemary would sound like and John Boy himself talks about his childhood with the Waltons it was really one of the great ensemble TV shows I mean we had 11 regulars and although the story was told from John Boy's point of view one of the great things about the show was the main story could be about the little kid one week or it could be about the grandparents so you had all this wonderful generational comprehensiveness about it and so i would call it first and foremost a great ensemble these programs and many more are available at distinctnostalgia.com or wherever you get your podcasts subscribe to be notified whenever a new episode becomes available and if you like what we do then please consider supporting us on patreon every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button thank you for listening and bye for now distinct nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with life rooms and mercy care nhs foundation trust We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.